0: Good morning everyone, Uh, today's scripture reading is taken from Psalms 2, verse 1 to verse 12. It's taken from New Living Translation. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle the rulers plot together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, He rebukes them, terrifying them with His fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem and on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth as your possession." You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverence, fear, and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal Son, or He will be angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of your activities. Voice anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. These are God's words.
1: Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Simon, for reading God's Word for us. This is loud. Well, I'm actually finally comfortable here in the pulpit because I discovered the secret of being comfortable in the pulpit. Okay, and that is what? That is that your hands-free might actually can be adjusted. So for the longest time, I've been trying to fit my round face into the width of Pastor Eugene and and Ian. Well, now I finally feel comfortable and you can rest assured that I won't be lightheaded after 30, 40 minutes of preaching. So seriously, good morning my beloved family in Christ. Morning. It's a time of year, isn't it? When the shopping malls are done up with Christmas decorations, When endless Christmas jingles fill the air, when the retailers proclaim to the world giving their own take on Christmas, happiness to the world, our products are here. Buy these gifts and let our cash register ring. But my friends, rather than being sold on this idea, it's important for us as a church during this season to have a very different view of Christmas. We need to be attentive to what really matters. Historically, the church celebrates the four Sundays, uh, preceding Sundays to Christmas as the Advent season. But what exactly is Advent? The word Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival. It referred to the coming of Jesus Christ. It has since come to mean the season in the church calendar when we prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. During this time, the church set aside this time to remember the first coming of Jesus Christ and anticipates the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, this Christmas season is for us to remember the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ together. And to our friends and visitors, first time or second time back here, you're most welcome to join us for this Advent season. We'll be spending the next four Sundays before Christmas in the Royal Psalms. I I know Psalms are, are really nice and great, but Royal Psalms, what are Royal Psalms? These Psalms talk about the Davidic King. These Psalms are concerned with the Davidic King as a vehicle of blessing for the people of God. These Psalms point ultimately to the Messiah, the ultimate heir in the the line of David, the promise that finds its perfect expression in Jesus Christ, our King, whose birth some 2,000 years ago we remember on Christmas. So let us celebrate this season remembering our King Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, clothed in frailty as a baby, initiating God's mission to save His people from this sin. So let us pray as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your patience and loving kindness towards us. We are rebellious people, loving you one moment and forgetting you the next. Thank you for your never-ending love for us that does not give up, but instead pursues us Despite our faults and sins, thank you for your promise that all who believe and put their trust in Jesus Christ, everlasting life. And in this Advent season, may the gospel resound in our hearts and minds, drawing many to the living water that is Jesus Christ, in whom we find forgiveness and knowledge of your great salvation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Pastor Ian is not with us. He's doing ministry at Thomson Road Baptist Church. He's preaching there. So I can talk about him. So Ian has been sharing, openly sharing his life with us. You know, he shared with us a few times of his younger days. He told us of how, in his running away from God's call, he lived a life of a rebel. Remember that? Many of us have heard his stories. You know, he, he kept long hair, painted fingernails, and he ended up running away from home. My younger days, on the other hand, comprised of the following. I, I followed my parents' and teachers' wishes. I, I studied hard and I, I did relatively well academically. And generally, I was taught of as, by many as being a well-behaved, good young man. So in short, my story is almost the exact opposite of Ian's. But my friends, I, too, was a rebel. Because in my heart, I knew what I was doing. I was gaming the system. I was doing what people expected of me, so that when they thought well of me, then I could have leverage to do things my own way. You know what I mean? You be good, you do what they want, then once in a while you ask for something that you really want, and then you get it your own way. That's what I did. I gamed the system. I was trying to gain people's praises so that I felt good. And in short, I was robbing God of His glory in seeking my own self-glory. You know, I was like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. There were actually two lost sons in that story. The elder brother is just as lost as the younger prodigal brother. He was self-righteous and I was self-righteous. He resisted the father's will to celebrate the youngest son's return. He externally was conforming, but ultimately working for his own good and glory, not his father's good and glory. And I was this lost elder brother. Isn't it true, my friends? We can evenly, outwardly conform to a Christian culture, but in our hearts, We can be rebels that seek to rob God of His glory by instead serving our own ends and seeking our own glory. But whether we are prodigal younger sons or self-righteous elder brothers, we are all rebels. We are all rebels. We see it in the news from the nations around us killing of Christians in the Middle East, rise of the new atheism in the West, expulsion of Christian missionaries, many of them from a nation in the Far East, we see people working against our sovereign God. But usually, for many of us, like me, our rebellion is less dramatic. Many people simply ignore God and do life their own way. They go to school, raise their children, work at their careers without the slightest thought of following Jesus Christ. This, too, is rebellion. And my friends, from what we see, I mean, you look at the world around us, we look at the lives people live around us, it's not immediately observable to us that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is winning in our world or in our workplaces or in our schools. So my friends, what should we think about this? Will God do anything about it? And this is where we come to Psalm 2 today. Psalm 2 tells us that God has done something about it. It tells us that God, our sovereign ruler, has powerfully and decisively enthroned his Messiah King to end this world's rebellion. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 stands as an introduction to the book of Psalms. And Psalm 2 continues the contrast between the righteous and the wicked that has begun in Psalm 1. In Psalm 2, the way of the sinners in Psalm 1, Psalm 1, one is now cast on such an international scale that we see the nations in rebellion against the God of heaven and against the king that God has set in authority to rule the world. On the other hand, the righteous man of Psalm 1 becomes more specific And more clear too, he is the son of God who inherits a throne. God has set him in complete authority over all nations. But the world hates God's anointed king. And the righteous submit to him and are blessed. So the book of Psalms opens with two ways to live. We can refuse Christ or we can take refuge in him. And my friends, because God has enthroned His Messiah King, then we should serve His anointed King with reverent fear and great joy. It's ultimately foolish and futile to fight against Christ. We should submit to Jesus Christ, our King, with reverent joy. As we look at Psalm 2, I have a five-point outline. The first one, the nations rebel, verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 to 6, God speaks. Verses 7 to 9, the king's response. Verses 10 to 12, the warning and invitation to rebels. This is in your ministry guide. And a bonus point, not in your ministry guide. Jesus is God's anointed king who will rule the nations. So you can write this last point in the space in your outline. Jesus Christ is God's anointed king who will rule the nations. First point, who are the rebels that refuse to submit to God? Let's open our Bibles and look at Psalms 2, and then we'll, let's take a closer look at verse 1 to 3. Now as I was preparing this, I came across a news report on the North Korean participants in the 2012 London Olympics. Okay? So it gives us excuse, as we prepare our sermons, Ian and I sometimes go on the internet and we drift and look at other news articles, we're distracted but it's actually part of research. Okay? So, so I came across a number of news reports of North Korean participants in the 2012 London Olympics. There was this uh, North Korean weightlifter, Kim eun good and he won a gold medal. Okay? And he told reporters, I won first place because the shining supreme commander, Kim Jong-un, gave me power and courage. Some of us may snigger or smile at this remark, but this is a reminder that the ruling power of North Korea is still officially atheistic and set against Christ. But this is not new. In ancient Israel, in the time of the summits, there were nations that were also set against God. And Psalm 2 opens with a scene of nations in rebellion against God. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, my friends, as you read this, you can almost sense that the psalmist is amazed that anyone will be dumb enough to fight God. We can almost imagine the psalmist shaking his head in disbelief. Why are they raging? Why are they making secret plans? Don't they know that their murmuring of mutiny is in vain? And in verse 2, we see that this uprising. Is worldwide. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. What we see here, the king and rulers fight against the Lord God and against his anointed. What does this word anointed mean? This word anointed is the name Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in Greek. In ancient Israel, kings and prophets and other leaders they were anointed with oil to show that they were set apart for God's work. And because of this, many Old Testament scholars think that Psalm 2 was written for the crowning of King David, or the crowning ceremony coronation of King David, or for another king in the Davidic line in Jerusalem. So Psalm 2 was originally used in Israel for the crowning of a new Davidic king. These kings were anointed to rule God's people on God's behalf. However, however, the many kings and rulers rulers of the Gentile nations cried out, Let us burst their bond apart and cast away their cords from us. Wait, the word bonds and cords here literally refers to the leather straps that kept the, yoke of the, on, on a, kept the yoke on an oxen in place. So imagine an oxen carrying this heavy weight, a yoke. These bonds are the leather straps that keep it in place. But of course, we know that this is an imagery. The kings are not actually tied with bonds or cords, but they think that God and His appointed king has kept them in bondage. They reject the yoke of God's kingdom and want to throw it off. They refuse to submit to God and His appointed king. And just as people rejected God in ancient Israel, we shouldn't be surprised that there are Jesus' despisers and God reject us in our day and age. And in their rejection of God, they may focus their rage on God's people. So my friends, do not be surprised when you face anger and opposition. Most times, it's not really about you, but rather who you, as a Christian, represent. They lash out against God, and we, as His people, as His ambassadors, we get caught in the crossfire. So do not be surprised that as a Christian, we receive opposition. Then how then should we respond to this? How do we respond to opposition? We go on to verses 4 and 6. Now, we had an elders' uh, a lunch gathering yesterday because whenever the elders gather, we talk about the ministry of the church. So we decided that perhaps three or four times a year, we have a lunch where we don't talk about ministry, but rather get to know one another. And I found out that one of our pastors gets seasick when traveling by boat. And one of the advice that he was given or advice is given to anyone who gets seasick is that it can sometimes help if you keep your gaze fixed on the horizon or on a fixed point, right? So rather than than, than stay in the rocking boat and look at your feet or looking at things shaking, you're supposed to keep your eyes on a fixed point and distance. The idea is if you focus on your immediate surroundings and rocking on the boat, you can get nauseous. But for some of us, it doesn't matter. They still get nauseous, right? So if you change your perspective and look on the horizon, you will be fine. If you were God's people or his anointed king and you face the rebellion of the nations, you will probably feel fearful. You may even quake in your boots you may even feel a little sick to your stomach, right? But notice what the psalmist does here. He changes the perspective from looking at their feet to looking at the horizon, from looking on earth to looking to heaven where God dwells. And all is fine. In verses 4 to 6, God speaks. And how does God respond to this rebellion on earth? God laughs. Are you surprised to see that? God laughs. Verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs, and his laughter is a dismissive laughter. Because verse 4 continues, The Lord holds them in derision. And it's no wonder, because the Lord sits enthroned in the heavens, who do the kings of the earth think they are, to even think of rebellion against the king and creator of the universe? such arrogance right of puny humans and isaiah verse 40 put matters into perspective because isaiah 40 tells us behold the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales all nations are nothing before him they are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness it is he Next slide, is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who bring princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Can a grasshopper fight against one who sits above the earth? No, God laughs. God laughs at something that seemed to us to be humanly fearful. And his laughter makes impotent the threat of the nations, so that God's people, by putting this this threat in perspective, can take comfort in this God. But God's derisive laughter next turns to anger. Verse 5, Then he will speak to them in his wrath, and terrify them in his fury. We will expect harsh words of reproof and vengeance. You know, We know that that God can can just call legions of heavenly angels to come down and snuff out the rebellion on earth. Or or perhaps God will come down himself as as the divine warrior, destroying all who oppose him. But here comes another surprise in verse 6. Instead of a bell cry, the Lord simply declares, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill how does this verse serve as a warning to the kings? It does. Because verse 6 begins with the emphatic, I, the Lord, or as for me, the, I, the Lord, has, have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord himself, the sovereign king of the heavens, has installed a new Davidic king in Jerusalem. The sovereign king of the universe himself has given this king his authority and power. So my friends, When you face opposition for the message of Jesus Christ, lift your eyes to this heavenly perspective that our God is sovereign over all and He has set Jesus Christ as His King with authority and power. It is this Jesus Christ in whom we trust and take refuge in. The late Baptist preacher, evangelist, Billy Graham, he passed into glory earlier this year. And he's quoted quoted to have said, I read the last page of the Bible and it's all going to turn out all right. He read the last page of the Bible and saw that God kept his promises. Jesus wins over the kings, over sin. And God's people are ushered into a new heaven and the new earth. When faced with opposition and challenges, the king remembered God's promises. And we see this in verses 7 to 9. Look with me to these verses. We see the scene shifting back to earth, this time to Zion, where the new Davidic king were, were crowned. And the new king remembers God's promises and began to speak in verse 7. I will tell her the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. The decree of the Lord uh, spoken about here is likely the document the king received at his coronation. This document contains the word of the Lord appointing the new king and probably gave all his responsibilities. And verse 7 actually referred to God's promise to King David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 16. There, God makes a promise to King David. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God promised to raise up a king in the line of David, and God will be a father to him, and he, meaning the king, will be a son to God. So the incoming king, he recalls the word on this document and God's promise on the day of his coronation. The Davidic king, therefore, will rule on behalf of God himself. His authority is not limited to Israel, but extends to the ends of the earth. The king continues and quotes the Lord in verse 8, saying, Ask of me, and I'll make your nations the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. Can you imagine that? Just asking of God, asking the king of the universe. When the Davidic king asks Almighty God and then God promises, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Tells us that the Davidic king's kingdom will not only endure the uprising of the rebellious kings, not only endure the opposition, but will even be extended to the ends of the earth. And those of us who... Are sensitive to scripture that echoes in scripture this echoes the promises in genesis 12one to 3 that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed there's a hint here that the davidic king that to, to the davidic king through the davidic king that god's promise of the reversal of the curse of the fall that is god's salvation promise will be accomplished and through the rule of this king all nations of the earth will be blessed. Finally, the Lord says to his anointed king in verse 9, you shall break them, and here he means the rebellious king of the earth, with a rod of iron and dash them like a porters vessel. There was no contest at all. Or you use, uh, how we put it in, in, in uh, Singaporean, be no horse run. Okay? God, anointed king will definitely win. What is being said here is a reference to ancient Egypt. You know, in Asian Egypt of the past, the pharaoh, the king, will have the names of his enemies written on the pots. Then he will literally smash them. So maybe he put uh, whatever king, king, whatever, take smash. Because by breaking this pot, it symbolized pharaoh's victory, the king's victory over his enemies. And Psalm 2 points this practice it tells us that the davidic king will smash the opposition and be victorious over the kings of the earth god's anointed king wins my friends when you face opposition for being a christian put your trust in jesus christ and take refuge in him jesus christ the perfect and greatest davidic king Will be victorious. You know, someone laid for us two ways to live: either the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And verses 10 to 12 speaks directly to this rebellious king. They only have two ways to live. The psalmist now warns the kings of the earth to serve the Lord and his anointed king. Because the king of the universe himself has established his king in Zion, and commissioned him to rule to the ends of the earth. And the psalmist begins with a, Now therefore, if this is fact, they only have two choices. Verse 10 to 11, O kings be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. To serve the Lord means to worship him and to submit to his kingship. He means to come under the king's rule and to obey him. To obey him as a slave surrenders to his master. So the psalmist urges the king of the earth to serve the lords with fear and with trembling. That is with reverence and with awe. And verse 12 continues, kiss the son lest he be angry for and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. You know, in case you feel awkward, just as uh, Bey invited us to kiss and greet each other before service, this is not what it means when you say kiss. Because in the Asian world, people will kiss the feet of the king as a sign of their submission and giving honour to the king. So the psalmist here urges the king of the earth, kiss his feet or he will be angry and you will perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. When God is angry at the kings of the earth, they will surely perish." Two choices, perish or submit and no joy. Because as a final encouragement to submit, the psalm ends with a blessing for those who submit to God's anointed King. Blessed or happy or joyful are those who take refuge in Him. Happy are all, not just the kings of the earth, but all who hear the words of the psalmist and take heed. Joyful are all who take refuge in him. And when we hear refuge, we can think of a shelter. You know, when people are threatened by bombs, they take refuge in a bomb shelter. When we are threatened by the powers of this world, we too need a shelter. And we find such a shelter under the loving arms of David's greater son, our King Jesus Christ. All who submit to his kingship find joy and refuge. I know our culture despises submission to any sort of authority. We are often told that we should seek our own freedom to be the person that we want to be. But implicit in that freedom, implicit in that is that freedom leads us to happiness. It leads to happiness for us. But scripture tells us instead that we submit to Jesus Christ for our joy. You know, you ask any children in Sunday school, they're not here now, but if you have children in Sunday, Sunday school or you know any later, you can ask them. You ask them any question, and many of them, in answer to the questions, will answer what? Anybody? Jesus, right? You ask them, they'll just tell you Jesus. You know, we believe the whole Bible testified to Jesus, and it's the conviction of the elders that both the New Testament and and Old Testament talks about Jesus. But just how do we get from Psalm 2, which talks about the king in ancient Israel, to Jesus Christ? Now, I made some mention of this already in the sermon today. But let's look at this. You see, in Psalm 2, Israel declared that God, in his battle with the kings of the earth, will will gain worldwide victory through his Davidic king. But if you actually look at the history of Israel, that worldwide Worldwide victory never really materialized for any of Israel's king. Not David, certainly not for Solomon. And certainly not any of the Davidic kings after that. Because in fact, in 586 BC, the Babylonian armies defeated Israel and took Judah into exile. And after that, there were no more Davidic kings. Yet Israel still preserved this royal psalm in their song book. You see, when there were no Davidic kings, Israel began to understand this psalm differently. They began to understand that psalm 2 began to speak to them of a future king from the line of David, a Messiah king, through whom the Lord will gain worldwide victory over the pagan nations. And if you quickly jump to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, what do we see? We see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was born in the line of King David. Jesus was a descendant from the kings of David. And we see in Mark 8:25:29, Mark 8:29, Peter and the testimony of scripture tells us, you, meaning Jesus, is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed greater Davidic king from God. Therefore, all the promises from Psalm 2 finds his fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we see at the end of the book of Revelation, it tells us what? It gives us the comfort when Jesus comes again, Jesus, our King, wins over all enemies and all opposition. So what does it mean for us? Firstly, this is encouragement for Christians facing opposition. God's people on earth have suffered persecution ever since the fall into sin. Yeah, it's as far back as that. Because if you remember in Genesis 3.15, God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Although God promised victory for the seed of the woman, he will strike Satan's head. Satan will be able to inflict severe damage on God's people, strike his heel. And we see this in the testimony of Scripture. Genesis 4, followed up with Cain murdering his, the righteous Abel. And later, God's people, Israel, will be under constant attack from the Gentile nations. In the words of Psalm 2:2, the kings of the earth did indeed set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. Fast forward to the New Testament to Acts 4:25 to 27. 27. Acts 4:25 to 27. This is where we see the early believers facing persecution for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The believers prayed this very psalm. They prayed this psalm and they prayed for boldness to speak the gospel despite the fact that they faced those who gathered against God's holy servant Jesus, whom God anointed. The early believers interpreted this psalm as the Lord will gain worldwide victory through the gospel of His anointed Son, Jesus Christ. So my friends, you know, some of us may be facing opposition for our Christian faith. Maybe in your schools, your friends mock you for following Jesus. Maybe in your workplaces, your colleagues joke about Christians. You know, they may not outrightly uh, insult you or, or, or say anything bad about you, but they joke about Christians, and then they shake their heads in disbelief that anyone will believe in such a superstition. Or maybe some of you have families where you have non-believing family members or relatives who distance themselves when you share the Gospel. Psalm 2 is for you. Take heart, be encouraged, and press on. Because we have a King, King Jesus Christ, who at His cross has won victory over the powers of this earth. And when he comes back again, he will have total victory. Of this, we can be certain. Of this, we can rest in. We can face opposition and persevere. There's also an invitation in Psalm 2. We are invited to kiss his feet, to kiss kiss the feet of the Davidic king and know blessedness. I added a little quote at the bottom of your ministry guide for you. As Pastor Theologian James Johnson writes, our only hope is to embrace Jesus Christ. God has set Him on a throne to deal decisively with this world's rebellion. There is no refuge from Him. Our only refuge is in Him. There is no refuge from Him. Our only refuge is in Him. As John the Baptist testifies in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him." So my non-Christian friends, the same invitation goes out to you today. Come, kiss Jesus' feet. Trust in Jesus today. Know that we have a sovereign God who has set Jesus as King over all things. Acknowledge that we are rebels. We have sought to serve ourselves rather than King Jesus, and trust that our King Jesus is also our rescuing King. He has come to bring forgiveness to rebels like us and to offer the blessedness of eternal life. And respond this day and trust in Jesus Christ, I plead with you. Come and know the joy of submitting in trust to Jesus Christ. There's encouragement, there's an invitation, and finally, a challenge for us in this scripture passage. Remember, I start off inviting us to acknowledge that we are all rebels, be it a rebel like the prodigal son or a rebel like the elder brother, self-righteous elder brother. So for Christians, we are all rebels who who are still acting in disobedience, who are acting as rebels. The call for us is to submit to Jesus Christ in obedience for our joy. Perhaps for some of us, there's a secret sin that we harbour. The challenge for us is to live in obedience and to repent of this sin. Perhaps for some of us, like me, struggle with self-righteousness. We think we are obeying God better than others and then we judge and gossip and we look down at others in the church. The challenge for us is to repent of our self-righteousness and live in loving, humble unity. Perhaps for some of us, it means obedience on a Monday. It means that we live a life of integrity in our workplaces and not to give in to morally questionable business dealings. Perhaps for some of us, it means that in our relationships, we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and not date a non-Christian and be unequally yoked. Perhaps for the rest of us, it means that this week, even as we look forward to Christmas, It means a re-evaluation of our lives as we seek to bring all areas in our lives where we act as rebels under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And even as we submit, we can know that it is for our good and for our joy because our King Jesus, He has really demonstrated His love for us by submitting to the cross and dying in in our place for our good. Jesus Christ, as we sang in the hymn, has indeed defeated every sin, every sin that we face, so we can submit and trust in Him and take refuge in our loving King, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us close in prayer. And as I pray, can I invite the stewards to come forward as we prepare to serve the Lord's Supper? Let us pray. Mighty God and Creator of all, we are made in your image. Yet many deny you and despise the Messiah who is your Son. We pray that you keep us humble and faithful so that our lives may proclaim our Savior's love. And as we tell of the Gospel, point others to find refuge in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.